0: Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. Jesus Christ, our rock, our redeemer. Lord, would you help us to hear what you are saying this evening by the Spirit? Would you knit our hearts together in love? at the beginning of these great three days. We ask this all in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're in John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Tonight, I encourage you to open your Bible, if you have your Bible there. Tonight, we gather on Maundy Thursday, which is a fancy way to say commandment Thursday, mandate Thursday, to remember, or else... To know again, to know something again. That's what remembering is, to know again a particular moment in the life of Jesus, a a scene that is summarized at the end of John 13 with these words. Hear this from verse 34, just a few verses after our gospel reading. A new commandment, Jesus says, I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Our, our principal lectionary reading every year on this Thursday is from John 13. And so we have the secondary option. Principal means first. That's first choice. There's a secondary option from Luke 22. Now, we've done both of those readings over the years, but one thing I love about reading from John 13, and specifically what I read in the midst of everyone here this evening, is the lack of clarity, the lack of clarity about what is meant by mandate. Or else, what is the commandment? What is Commandment Thursday? Which is it? Is the commandment from the end of John 13? Is it love one another? Why isn't that our reading, right? I'm I don't know. Why isn't that our reading? Or two, if it's from Luke 22, what does Jesus say at the Last Supper in Luke 22? Do this in remembrance of me. We're, we're about to do that. Is that the commandment? Or a third option from our text, John chapter 13, at the very end of our reading in verse 14, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So which is it? Which mandate mandate commandment Thursday. Now, I recently learned from a new West Virginia friend of mine. He's a he's an all star pastor. His name is Scott. Uh, He's a pastor in the Church of God, in the Church of God. And I recently learned from Scott that they celebrate three ordinances of the church, three in the Church of God. Now, we we call ordinances sacraments. There's a differentiation of language there. But he says that Christ ordered three sacraments, holy baptism, the Lord's Supper, and foot washing. I thought that was pretty cool. I think that's really cool, actually. Now, some people think, and this is a common way to put the Bible together or else make sense of the Bible. They would say that Old Testament equals commandment. That's... That's what people would characterize a lot of laws, a lot of commandments in the Old Testament. And then New Testament is gospel. That's a common way to divide up the Bible or else try to make sense of Scripture. But that's not the best way to think about the Bible. And we've done this many times before. At at least one reason why is the reality that in the New Testament, Jesus gives tons of commandments. There are commandments on almost every page of the gospel. And one of the distinctions between any old commandment, any old commandment that Jesus gives in various different places and a sacrament or else an ordinance of the church is that there is a physical component. So there's a lot of commandments. Some of them rise, have risen in the history of the church to a level of a sacrament. And there's a physical component to it. So baptism in real water. That's kind of how you do it, right? You can't get baptized online, it doesn't work. You have to eat real bread and drink real wine. You can't do that disembodied in any other way. And as my friend Scott uh, practices, washing feet with real water. You can totally understand how that would have developed in the church. So which is it? Which is the mandate? Which is the commandment? Foot washing is an ancient tradition. In the 1st century, century, a common sign of hospitality if you walked into someone's home is that someone in that house, a servant, would wash your feet as you took off your sandals to enter into that house. And in the late 2nd century, St. Tertullian, he he recounts the practice of washing one another's feet before coming to the Lord's table. This is an ancient tradition. So Jesus who is the host, this is his home, he's the host of the meal, the head of the household. He comes to the table, to this fellowship meal, with his disciples as the lowliest of servants. At this Paschal feast, or else the feast of the Passover, which Nate read about from Exodus 12, with his disciples, he begins the meal by kneeling. This is is strange. He sets the table as the host, he provides the food, and John will say in this gospel that he is the food. He's, he's providing the food, and he is the food. He is also, though, the servant of all. He is the lowest of the low. The hospitable host washes feet. So, Tertullian was right. My friend Scott is right. So, which is it? Which, which is the mandate? You guys love this, but I'm just going to say yes. I'm going to say yes to the answer, which is it? Yes is the answer, which is it? Jesus commands his disciples to be hospitable as he is hospitable, to welcome everyone that he welcomes. And how does he do this? He does it from below. He doesn't do it from above. He he doesn't operate like this. He operates from below to love as he loves, as he says later in this upper room discourse, to feast with him in his presence, to enter into the waters of baptism, to go low because he did it first. This is this is the mandate. This is the commandment. It's all of it together. So let's focus our attention a little bit on John 13 in our gospel reading what is, what is the commandment uh, articulated in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 15? And here's my main idea tonight. We cannot know. We cannot know Christ without embodied love. Let me say that again. We cannot know Christ without embodied love. Physical, embodied, tangible love. To say it positively You, Christian, and I could say this as well, you came to know Christ because of embodied love. I can say that without without question. You came to know Christ because someone embodied the love of Christ to you. There's a word, and it's two pretty common words in the New Testament, That there's a word group, actually, that's repeated ten times in these verses in John chapter 13. And here is the word, or else the word group, know, or else knowledge or understanding. It's mentioned ten times in this text. And both words are used in verse 7, John chapter 13 and verse 7. What I am doing, you do not understand. Now, you don't know now. You don't know right now, but afterward, you will understand. Both of these words are used in the same verse and it's, it's communicating the same idea. John's gospel, John's gospel, you've heard me preach about this before, it's a big barbecue from beginning to end. That's how John characterizes his gospel. One of the things that scholars think is interesting about John's gospel in particular is that there is no institution of the Lord's Supper. But John is saying from the very beginning to the very end, Jesus is. Where he is, there is a feast all the feast days point to Jesus over and over again in John's gospel in other words it's a big barbecue and that's how the art sermon text begins in John chapter 13 verse 1 it's a feast Jesus comes to the feast of the passover with his disciples and the text says he knew that his hour had come he knew that his hour had come to die Jesus was feasting verse 2 With whom? Who is he feasting with? With his disciples, including Judas, the text says, including Judas. Later in verse 11, if you skip down a few verses, John tells us that Jesus already, and here's that word again, knew who was to betray him. So he comes to the meal with this knowledge. Who is going to betray him? Jesus comes to this Passover feast with the knowledge of his impending death. Right in front of his mind. And what's more, Jesus comes to this meal knowing full well that his friend and his betrayer is seated at the table with him. This is Jesus' knowledge from the start of John chapter 13. But even with death and betrayal, embodied betrayal right before him, staring him in the face, verse 3, Jesus knows the presence of the Father. He knows the Father's presence with him. He is not alone. And then in verse 4, John chapter 13 and verse 4, Jesus gets on his knees to wash his disciples' feet. And Peter, my favorite, Peter sticks his foot in his mouth. He's my patron saint. I know it. Um, Verse 6, Peter says, no way. First time, no way you're washing my feet, Jesus. That's inappropriate. Inappropriate. Verse 7, Jesus responds to Peter, you don't, and here's the word again, No, you don't know what I'm doing, but soon you will know. You don't know what I'm, you don't understand what's happening right here, but soon you will know. Verse 8, still Peter says, no way. With death and betrayal still before him, still Jesus is patient With stubborn Peter, I must wash, he says, I must wash everyone who is mine. If I don't wash you, you have nothing. I have to wash you, Peter, or you'll have nothing. In verse 9, Peter responds to Jesus, Well, then, don't just wash my feet, dunk me. That's what Peter says. Oh, we love Peter. He's so zealous. Don't just wash my feet. I want you to wash me from head to toe. And Jesus... Like a patient father to a very self-assured son, he responds again. And this, this action, he says, in other words, this action is figural. It's pointing to something else. He points forward to Peter in his response. He points forward to a time when his disciples will have been washed. They will have been washed and cleansed from head to toe. And I think this is pointing to the waters of baptism, to the washing of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, I will completely cleanse you one day, Peter. But what I'm doing here this night only points to that cleansing. It only points to that cleansing. I'm washing your feet. That's it. I'm just washing your feet, Peter. In verse 12. Do you know what I have done to you? Do you know what I have done to you? You see, the disciples, they didn't know, not yet. But they would know. They would know afterward. After what? After Jesus gave them bread and wine at this meal, at this table. After Jesus would tell Peter that he would deny him. After Judas would sell him out for money. After Peter would deny Jesus three times, even as Jesus stood alone, falsely accused, as he was being beaten to a pulp. After bloody, thirsty Jesus would carry a tree. Think about this. Carry a tree large enough to hold a grown man. He would carry a tree on his back up a mountain, already bruised and bloody after they witnessed his hands and feet being nailed to that tree, after they all ran away, after they all ran away, after they wept alone because of their betrayal, after they disbelieved that Jesus was alive when they were told for the first time, after they fell down before the risen Lord Jesus, afraid, afraid because they had first disbelieved, after they walked with him for 40 days after his resurrection, and they ate with him over and over again. They ate with him after he physically ascended to heaven, after they were cleansed in baptismal water and washed and filled with the Holy Spirit. They didn't know yet, but they would know afterward, Jesus says. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now all of us here, all of us here, we have been given the gift of hindsight. This, this story is a past tense story. In other words, we can look back with clear vision. And we, like Jesus in this story, we already know what Jesus knew at that meal. We already have that information, so it's hard for us to sort of situate ourselves in the minds of the disciples because we confess every week, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. We already know what's coming. We already know. But do you really want to know Jesus? To really know Him? We, every one of us, who loves Jesus, we know Jesus because we have encountered real people, embodied servant leaders who have physically served us. Some of those were our parents by God's grace. To know Jesus means humbling ourselves, repenting of our Peter-like pride. I don't want to be served. I want to do the serving. It means humbling ourselves and receiving loving service done to us. In other words, What happens to us? Baptism. We come with open hands. We don't set the table. And we don't truly know Jesus, according to John 13, until He serves us. He embodies, He serves us and cleanses us physically even. And then we embody His love in service of others. We desperately, we desperately need embodied practices to know. To know is not just a head thing, in other words. To know Jesus is not just about getting information or doctrine into our head. Holy baptism is real water. The Lord's Supper with physical bread and wine, foot washing, processional crosses, all the processionals and things that we do. The hard wood of the cross, or else the cross around your neck even right now. And not just in church liturgies, but our home practices, embodied, sacrificial love in our homes every day. We desperately need this. We cannot know Christ without experiencing this embodied love. Knowledge without love, the Apostle Paul says, is nothing. It's meaningless. It's it's not fruitful. It doesn't do anything. It's just noise. It's just noise. Love is nothing if it's not followed by sacrificial patience, Peter or Paul says. Love must be accompanied with kindness. Don't you know what I'm talking about? You can love someone in the moment. Um, You can love them even when they're, you know, very difficult to be with. You can show patience with them, but if you don't continually show kindness to them, guess what you're going to do in a couple hours later? You're going to be like, man, they were a real jerk to me, right? You got to show kindness over and over again. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love isn't arrogant. Love isn't rude. Love doesn't insist on getting his own way. And this is in embodied, real, tangible, practiced ways over and over again. This is how we know anything. This is how we trust anyone. Do as I have done to you. Little practices. Here's the reality. I think it's an inescapable reality of what it means to be human. Little practices that help us know Christ. Little washings that remind us that we have already been cleansed by Christ. You can even redeem a bath time ritual with your children. Remember your baptism, kids, even as you're taking a bath or a shower. Little repeated signs of God's hospitality on display in a church. In our homes, giving and receiving forgiveness, even and especially when we are exhausted or else we're afraid Or we don't feel like we deserve it. Even in those moments. When we are staring death in the face. And many of us know people who have done that faithfully. What a gift. When the one who has betrayed you. Sits at the same table across from you. A lot of you have experienced that. And maybe it's someone who will betray you. And you don't know that yet. Jesus invites us to get on our knees, to get on your knees, to fight for patience and peace, to daily fight for kindness, this embodied love that we desperately need. It's hard and it's painful and it's physical and it's messy. This is the knowledge. This is what it means to know Christ. Now, let me relieve a little bit of felt tension in the room. You don't have to have your feet washed tonight. Some of you are crying out, thanks be to God. (laughs) But here's the thing. When you're old, someone will probably have to wash you. You're going to get to the point probably in this life where your child, think about this, children, you might have to wash your parents. This is the little practice, a little liturgical practice for all of life loving you don't have to have your feet washed but you also don't have to wash anyone else's feet you don't have to do that tonight but one day as you grow up maybe some of you young boys and girls you might be a mom or a dad someday and you're gonna have to wash a baby's bottom so you can practice with feet a little bit of lint between toes trust me it gets gets more interesting You don't have to come forward in just a few minutes and participate in this foot washing, but you must embody love. If you are going to be obedient to Jesus, you must embody love to one another on repeat. Love received. So you have to practice being served. You are not in control. Someday you will literally not be in control. Practice that. Practice that before you're incapacitated and you resent everyone who's helping you. It's hard. It's hard. It's desperately hard. Practice it tonight and you must serve. You must get on your knees and enter in service. So before you come to the table, St. Tertullian would love this exhortation. Before you come to the Paschal Feast, Christ our Passover Lamb is sacrificed for us once for all upon the cross. This is the fullness of the feast of Exodus chapter 12. If this table, if this church, if your home is going to be life-giving for you, before you come, you must come on your knees. You must come on your knees as the servant of all. Every sacrament, every ordinance, every embodied act of service, it must point to Jesus. It can't just be an outward sign. It can't be just a liturgical remembrance. It has to point to Jesus or else it's just lifeless liturgy. But I encourage you to enter in to practice. Who cares if I wear a cross around my neck if it doesn't point to Jesus? It's just a show. We all know this to be true. We must encounter true, embodied, lived love. This is the knowledge of God. He must wash us. At his last supper, Jesus would go on to tell his disciples right after our reading in John chapter 13, I know you. I know you. My disciples, I know you, Christian. I know your betrayals. I know your betrayals. I know your stubbornness. Yes, toddler Peter. Yes, toddler Chris. I know your stubbornness. I know your sin, but still I choose the cross set before me. I still choose that. I see you, all of you, and I choose you, he says. I must wash you. I must wash you. I will wash you, all of you. I'm going to do it. All of you, all your sins, all your sorrows. I'm going to do that for you. Let me wash your feet. And afterward, after you're cleansed by me, he invites his disciples. He says, follow me. Get on your knees. Take up your cross. Even die. Die for others. And this is the easy yoke of the gospel. Carrying the cross of Christ in your life is lighter than every other thing that you try to bear on your own. If you try on your own, if you don't receive the washing of others, if you don't at the first receive the washing of regeneration from God, then you cannot serve. You have to receive, you have to experience, and you have to serve. This is the light yoke of the gospel. If you know these things, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.